0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today's guest, Mitch Light of The Athletic. We will talk Vanderbilt football, baseball, and basketball to various degrees in this show today. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, we finally have baseball. The Commodores, after three days of waiting, and about 350 if you go back to last year, to play baseball, Beat Wright State in both games of a Monday doubleheader. First game 14 to 1, second game one to nothing. Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, the winning pitchers, Jason Gonzalez and Isaiah Thomas, both with home runs in that one. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones, DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and And aesthetics of your smile, Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality, so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Mitch Light appears today on our guest line. The guest line is presented by Bowl & Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue... How comfortable Bowling Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are Fair Trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us from The Athletic, where we both just have had fantastically fun days the last couple of days. Uh, Mitch, welcome to the program today. How are you doing, Chris? Good. I'm, I'm splendid. Let me ask you a question. Uh, wh- what should take longer? Um, adding a basic cable service uh, to your existing uh, package of internet or, say, going through emissions inspection?
1: Well, I know you just fresh off of a uh, not-so... Uh, no cheating. Inter- <laughs> yeah. Well, my admissions my yesterday was, uh, was actually uneventful. There was only about two cars in line in front of me, so I was there for about 15 minutes. So I have nothing to complain about. Uh, what's the over-under
0: on a, say, just a, a basic, hey, guys, I got my internet with you. I'd like to add a cable package. Uh, how, how much can we do that for? What's, what's a good over-under on a reasonable time?
1: Well, I've found that in stuff like that, when you're trying to buy something... It should be relatively quick. When you're trying to fix something or change something, it takes forever. So I'm actually surprised since you were trying to give them more money that it took forever. It took two hours and 16 minutes.
0: It seems like it's about two hours too long. Uh, That does to me as well. And and God bless the people who tried to help me. They weren't the issue. I just am amazed. It's like you can... We put a man on the moon 50 years ago and and yet we can't see what the left hand tells the right hand. But anyway, enough complaining. Thank God we
1: got baseball, man. Yeah, it was I was just saying it was uh, I I could do with I could live with uh noon baseball games. Now that I work from home and actually Mondays was not a busy day for me, but uh I I can handle baseball on uh during the day every day. You know, I guess we're now back to 4:30 starts, so that's not quite as early, but uh yeah, obviously Good to see some college baseball over the weekend. And then uh, I think it worked. I think actually we'll get into this. It worked out well from a PR standpoint from, for Vanderbilt playing all day yesterday with obviously the pitchers they threw. They were uh, on that segment of social media that pays attention to college baseball. It was pretty much all Vanderbilt all day. Rather, you know, people would have been talking about Kumar Rocker on Friday night or Saturday. But the fact that there wasn't much going on yesterday, you know, Vanderbilt really stole the, the college baseball headlines.
0: I think the visibility of the program right now is the highest it's ever been. Is that fair? Because, and I know that 2019 team won the national title, did all those things, but a lot of it's anticipation and just everybody's buzzing about Lighter and Rocker right now everywhere.
1: Yeah, I think so those those guys kind of transcend the sport. First of all, they're who they are. I mean, if you're if you're a college or football fan, you know Tracy Rocker. If you're a MLB fan, you know Al Lighter. So their kids, obviously, they have they're high profile kids. And then Kumar's no hitter two years ago. Um, The fact that they're both in their draft eligible years. So you're getting the MLB buzz. Uh So yeah, it's kind of the, the, the perfect storm of, of positive press. And the fact that they both, I don't want to say mid season form, that's, you know, perfect form almost yesterday, you know, obviously rocker, Walked two batters to start the fifth inning, or whatever. Like, but if other than that, I don't think they could have thrown better.
0: All right, I've never thought about this to now, but end of the year, what's the team's ERA?
1: Zero point zero
0: three. Well, it would have to go down not too much from where
1: it is right. now. Um, that's a great question. I, you probably know it's better. Like, what what was the um, 2011 team's ERA? Would you know anywhere? Uh,
0: I can find that. I've got a book with all that. So I'll I'll let you talk while I go grab
1: that. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously, here's the thing, though. When you're, the staff is so deep, I don't anticipate this happening, but really good pitching staffs can give up 15 runs in a midweek game. Just can be fluky. Something happens, you're, you're giving a guy an opportunity to work through some stuff and he might give up, you know, a grand slam or something like that. And that can kind of... You know, over a 50-game season, that's not going to distort the ERA too much, but it doesn't help. But I, the, the staff is so deep, I, I don't see many midweek games where they're giving up more than three or four runs at the very most. So, I don't know, low threes. What do you? I my my college. I mean, obviously, I follow the college game closely, but as far as team ERAs, I don't have a good feel for. Have, yeah, you, have that, you it? that's why I have an issue with it too, because there's going to be one of these midweek games where they're beating.
0: UT Martin 18-1, to and they'll throw a freshman who's not ready who's going to get his only start or only appearance of the year, and he'll go a third of an inning and give up six runs because he hits four guys or something like that and gets nerves. So that's why that's hard to answer. But just for point of fact, I'm I'm going to go back and flip through ERAs for every year. I've got this book I'm working backwards in. They were 1.84 last year, 3.72 in 2019. 2018, they were 4.23. In 17, they were 3.71. 16, that was an underrated staff. That one went 3.25. That was back a little bit in the dead ball era. And then 14 and 15 are when it was really dead. They were 284 and 15 um and 14 they were a bet lower than that because that's when the ball was really dead no 290 and then 2011 would be the other one to contend with although that was a higher offense era and so I'm betting it was higher uh that year they would have been oh wow 2.44
1: yeah, so I, that's kind of the, the no. Benchmark. That
0: was um. Well, no, that was not SEC. That was everybody. Uh, that that's amazing because I, I think 2011 was a higher offensive era, I believe. So,
1: um. Anyway, yeah. So I, I would think that's kind of the benchmark right there. Uh, you know, I just the depth is, and we'll we'll see over the next week to start the season the way they are with what uh what is it through four or five. Seven games in, in eight days, they're really going to, or seven games in seven days, right? One, two, no, six games in seven days uh, really test the depth of the staff, but they they look very well equipped to handle it. I'm going to go
0: maybe 295 as an over-under.
1: Yeah, uh, I might take the under.
0: I might too. I mean, I, I'm thinking that seems a little high, but like I said, it just takes a couple of you know, bad right. outings by guys who never throw, um, which they're probably going to have. But, I mean, that that's built in for other teams, too, I think. So, yeah, I mean, that that seems high. Uh, but, boy, the, the league this year is brutal. That's that's the thing, man. It's They've got anybody you play in the league is going to be really good. And then on top of that, you go Louisville in the midweek. I don't think Georgia State's going to be a pushover. That team took two from West Virginia this weekend uh which is still ranked at division 1
1: runs in one game too. What's that? Uh Georgia State scored 21 runs in one game against West Virginia too.
0: Yeah, on the road. So that's not going to be a pushover. UIC I is all, typically not a
1: pushover. Yeah, I think that I think the Georgia State series was uh was not on the road. I think it was in the Georgia.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense because I don't think West Virginia would be fit for baseball over the yeah. weekend. But uh and then you've got the other one's Oklahoma State, which those guys can hit a bit too.
1: So yeah, now, to- I, watch, I watched um, a decent, uh, had to do a little bit of work. I probably, you know, watched most of it or listened to. I think there was one situation where uh, I think in game one where Wright had the bases loaded, hit a line drive to Colwick. But I don't remember a lot of hard outs at all. I mean, obviously there were a lot of strikeouts. So I'm looking right now, you know, they – one run in, in 18 innings and you know, they had a couple opportunities, one after an error, but it wasn't like they were, you know, hitting this, like I said, hitting some loud outs there. So the Wright State wasn't really close to scoring more runs.
0: Yeah. The one to Colwick would have done some damage. Cause I believe they had the bases loaded when they did that Yes, they did. And, and two yeah, outs. So the runners were going and, and that would have been, I mean, they left, I think that what they leave 12 guys on base, Wright State in that first game, something like that. Um, so it got it got a little dicey for a while. I mean, you think of, gosh, we're really having to single out moments here. Um, I'm looking back at the scorecard, and in the fifth, that's where Locker, Rocker walked the first two hitters on eight balls, and then they took him out immediately. The next inning, Schultz struggled, uh, walked a guy, hit a guy, um, and then hit another, excuse me, walked a guy, error on a ball that hit Colwick, or excuse me, Keegan in, in the mitt and just popped out. By the way, I saw Florida yeah. do that this weekend too. Then he hit a guy. So the bases are loaded with two outs. Then the, there's the liner uh, to second. In the eighth, they get their run. They get the single. Then they get a double, and that was off of McIlwain, uh, you know. And then in game two, it just was everybody out there mowing them down, no matter who.
1: Yeah, they had a couple. That one opportunity with what Maldonado on the mound, and I think he. I was in my car listening. I I've got, got it in guys. front of me. I,
0: I keep a scorebook, yeah, fortunately.
1: Got a, big, got a big strikeout on a yeah. close, uh, I think, 3-2 pitch and then got out of it.
0: Yeah, he went 3-2 to the first three guys in that inning. Um, walked two of them and then got, I think, a strikeout looking um, and, and then got out of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the times they were in trouble, that, that was the one where the game two kind of turned. Uh, he puts those two guys on. And then you feel like, OK, runs are tough to come by because the kid that Wright State had in was dealing, too. Uh, but that was really the only time all day that you really felt threatened that they might lose that
1: game. Right, right. But uh, got out of it. I thought all day long, the umpires a friendly outside strike. As uh, Max Hurz like said on the broadcast, a college strike called it. That was, I thought, appropriate.
0: Yeah, right. State, one of those in particular, a hitter was upset they got rung up on, and I was sitting there going, I didn't blame him. But, I mean, I guess not a lot to be surprised about. You always know what Ace is. Like, with Rocker and Leiter, anytime those guys are on the hill, you know that they can just go out there and mow guys down. But we've also seen times where guys struggle in their first outings. You know, Rocker did it a few times as a freshman. Leiter had that outing against TCU last year where I think he walked five or six and just you know, couldn't find, I guess, the feel for his pitches in the middle innings, and, and the control kind of went sideways on him. That's from memory, but you have moments like that even as great pitchers like those guys, but really yesterday, other than when Rocker lost it for that inning where he got pulled after two batters and, and the Maldonado struggle, I mean, it really just not, not a lot of not a lot of struggle. And I don't know that that's a great hitting lineup, but it's probably a good one. I mean, I, I just think that the bar's been set pretty high for this staff. And I felt like nothing that I saw yesterday would give me cause for concern out of the pitching side.
1: Yeah, of course. Clearly, the depth. I mean, a guy like Sam Loboke um, could be a Friday night starter, probably, you know, on what he, 95% of the teams out there or more and um i think he is going to be an extremely valuable uh guy out of the pen this year if he you know if he doesn't at some point become the sunday starter but his i forgot how absurd his numbers were last year as a freshman his hits you know his whip and all that and then he you know two innings and looked i gave up he gave up one hard hit ball but he looked he looked phenomenal
0: It'll be interesting to see what they do Wednesday because I'm thinking of the guys that are left. We didn't see Fisher yesterday. In fact, I guess they didn't throw a lefty all day, did they?
1: No, I don't think so. Christian Little?
0: Yeah, I don't know if Little, when I talk, it doesn't seem like he's really ready for a long start. No, I I, I think 30 pitches or so is about what they want to throw him. That might have built up a little bit since my last info. Doolin is a guy that would have started a midweek game like that, but I don't think he's going to be ready, probably to a conference play or close to it. So maybe we see, I don't know, a Hunter Owen, somebody like that. I mean, and again, they can throw, gosh, they they went McIlvain for three. So I don't know if he's out, but I mean, Maldonado went one. Ethan Smith went one. You had a few guys there that, that really didn't throw a ton of pitches that I'm sure you can bring back on Wednesday. I mean, look, they've still got plenty to piece it together. But I do wonder which one of the true freshmen might see action in that spot. And maybe it depends on the score. I mean, again, if if you're up 10-1, to maybe you throw a guy in that spot rather than maybe coming back with a Maldonado um, for for an inning in in the sixth or seventh that he might throw in that spot.
1: Yeah, um, you know, all good points there. Sure, they've got a plan. I'm interested to see what they do this weekend, though. Uh, Corb said they will, you know, Rocker would not throw Friday. That makes sense. Um, so, Rocker lighter, not throwing Friday. They've got game Saturday, doubleheader Sunday. Do they bring Rocker back Sunday and lighter, S- Rocker back Saturday, lighter Sunday? Um, you know, that would be on what? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday. That'd be four, five days rest or four days rest for for Rocker. So, uh, not the the I talked about the advantages of these games getting pushed to Monday from a from a you know visibility standpoint not ideal as far as you know having to throw your two prime premier starting pitchers and, and getting them in that week by week you know Friday to Friday Saturday Saturday uh, routine that they want to get them in. Did you get a chance to see Luke Murphy? Yes.
0: Well, that was the Luke Murphy that w- that that I got to see in the Black and Gold series, which the public didn't get to see because they weren't letting fans in, and I don't think those were televised, but my goodness, when it goes right for him, that's what it looks like.
1: Yes, he was uh, obviously very impressive. How many pitches, I don't know, the, I had the box for how many pitches did he throw? From memory, I think it was 14. I'll go back and find the box. I've got it right here. Uh, 14 pitches, yeah. He threw 14, Ethan Smith threw 18, Maldonado threw 17, uh, 27, and Schultz threw 15. So I would think all those guys who threw just an inning would be available for Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, man, you throw eight
0: guys and one guy gives up a run, and that's Michael Wayne, and he does that in three innings. I mean, I I think I'm I'm almost out of superlatives with this pitching staff. I wrote a thing in the three two one on Friday where I said, look, pretend locker or locker, <laughs> mm-hmm. locker's a pretty good picture if you um, yeah. combine those two. Pretty good, pretty good uncombined, too. But um, if you combine rocker and lighter,
1: just take them out. you still got a really good staff, Mitch. Yeah. I mean, I think I might have said that on the podcast, asked you that a couple of weeks ago. I mean, if you, you don't have the depth, obviously, but you could definitely piece together a really good weekend rotation. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, we, we've seen some really good pitching staffs, obviously, at Randall over the years. And this, this appears to be the, the deepest. And you know, I was. There's been some really good star power at the top, and these guys have to prove it. And Tim Corbin will tell you, anybody who asks. You know, Jack Leiter hasn't thrown an SEC pitch yet, but it's hard. It's going to be uh, hard to match this staff as far as star power at the top and depth.
0: Hitting wise, I thought the most encouraging thing easily was seeing what Jason Gonzalez did. That home run he hit. If you didn't see it. Was about 20 feet to the left of dead center. Didn't clear by much, but it was a cold, damp day. So to do that in those conditions, I think, was impressive. Struck out once in six at-bats, walked once. Th- that was the prototypical guy that you hear all all spring, all winter, that looks like Nolan's going to start at third and, and maybe Bulger at DH. The thought was that Gonzalez was the second option at third, but Tim always does this. He takes that last-chance guy and rolls him out there to see if he can run with it or not. Uh, I'm not shocked to see that he did it with Gonzalez. I was thrilled for Jason to see him perform like that. And all of a sudden, if Jason performs at that kind of level, look, he's not going to have a a 1.167 slugging and a 7.14 on base. But, I mean, I think Jason could go, you know, 4.10, 5.75. I think that's easily within reach for him. If he does that... Uh, this is a better lineup than we thought it would be probably all things considered.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I was, that, I would say that would be the surprise there too. Um, and good to see it by all, you know, all accounts, good kid, good to have him back in the program, all that. I thought, you know, we'd heard a lot about Enrique Bradfield and kind of, you know, lived up the expectations. I think two bunt hits in the, in the game and, and a lot of speed there. So yeah, the, the offense, as we know, is going to be a work in progress there. But you, we, we I think Isaiah Thomas is, is a known quantity, and we, if, you, if if we if you get what you're talking about from Gonzalez, that adds some depth to the lineup there. And uh, you know, it looks like Cooper Davis isn't going to be out long. Fortunately, that that was a little scary there. So um, it's not going to be a premier hitting team, but it looks like it's going to be good enough.
0: Yeah, I was impressed with Bradfield too if people didn't see it. So here's what happens. He gets on with the bunt single. I can't remember if it's no outs or one. But then Gonzalez singles to shallow center, and it's on the left side of the bag, right? So if you're going to make a throw to the third, that's a good situation because the outfielder can catch that ball charging and and then make a throw with his momentum holding uh, you coming towards the bag. Bradfield took a pretty wide turn around second which I'm not faulting him he was really really moving but to see a guy take a first to third in that situation uh and and did it easily that just showed you everything about that kid that sequence because literally he manufactured a run for them in that spot I felt
1: yeah I think sometimes we uh you know I don't know what the word is you kind of you hear coaches talk about speed and defense, and you're like, okay, that's great, but you'd rather have a guy who gets line drives and stuff, but not saying that Bradfield won't and he hit the ball hard once specifically that I remember, but that's that you're right. That's a case of speed. And that was that was a one-nothing game. And that was a case of Bradfield's base running and speed giving Vanderbilt that one run. So uh that was, you know, obviously a huge part of the game there. And um I was listening to that on on the radio there and just knowing how fast he is and listening to Kevin Ingram describe that the ball hit up the middle. I was like, I bet he gets to third there. Obviously I didn't see it because I was listening, but uh, that that was, that was a huge play.
0: Well, and then Gonzalez took second on the trail, which Bradfield was really excited about. That was another situation where Jason took a base in that spot out of awareness, which I've seen him do that. If they hit just a little bit, they probably have two runs in that inning, but they didn't. But, People may look at the the box score. They did have what was it? Five doubles, three triples, and two home runs. The homers were legit. One of the triples, uh, Max Hersh, who I, I really like and respect. I think they thought that the center fielder misplayed a little bit. I I think I fall in between that a little bit. I think that it was a it was a ball at Carter Young hit that I think hit the base of the wall. And nobody's playing Carter Young that deep. Could could the guy made a play on it? Yeah, but that one was also smoked. Uh I believe Colwick got a double on a shallow pop up to center or right where the right state guys were just having fits trying to see the ball. They had another double. Someone had like that. So some of those were cheapies. On the other hand, Colwick did you holy moly, did you see the foul ball he hit to left? No,
1: I was li- I listening or someone texted something about I, I, I knew of it. <laughs> yeah, I heard it was hard hit.
0: <laughs> I mean I, I didn't see where it landed, but that was four hundred and, and, and then change. I mean, and that was one of those that the only question was is is it is it fair or foul? So he hit one hard. Bulger hit a screamer to left, uh, that I swear was took about a second to get from his bat uh to the left fielder's glove about two hundred and eighty feet away on a line. Uh so there were some hard hit balls there that's always something I look for: is what doesn't show up in the box score. I thought that to see Colwick hit the way he did, nine at bats, he only struck out once, got three hits. Again, one of those was a cheapie, but but I think he hit some other balls hard. Um, Bulger is a kid who I think clearly is they feel is going to hit for them. Maybe my only concern: Isaiah Thomas uh, gets four hits at nine at bats, also strikes out four times. That's a issue with him and I think it'll continue to be an issue I mean he just started getting after that home run one off speed pitch after another after another after another it's going to be clear to me he's gonna have to learn to hit that uh but other than that I I didn't really I'm not gonna say I was blown away with the offense because I wasn't but to me it looked like good enough to win them a lot of games
1: Right. And that's kind of what you need from this team with this pitching. And, you know, right State definitely helped out with some uh, uh, not so stellar defense on one of them. I forgot uh, who hit it. You, you might have just referenced it, but it was uh, this is you know, Willie Donick always talks about this, that the, the, the high pop ups hit that look like they're going into the football stadium just the way the wind is. They always blow back a lot of blowback. And I think it was in the region, Super Regional against Duke last year. Maybe a big play came back or might have been Indiana State in the regional. But one of those looked like the the infielder wasn't ready for the ball to come back as quickly as it did. So, um, yeah, it's this is not a team that's going to need to score a ton of runs. Um, so, you know, uh, I think we saw uh, enough. But, you know, we think Wright State's pretty good. Obviously, they've been good every year, and it's probably a good, good opening test. We'll find out more over the next few weeks. But, um, you know, uh, would have liked to see probably – Couple more runs obviously in the second game but uh hard to find too much to complain about
0: the only thing that was really discouraging was cooper davis that poor kid uh, cannot catch a break it loses a job a couple of years ago when he was hitting really well uh but that team in 2019 as we said many times was loaded so he gets hurt loses his job for good of course last year would have played every day that's a lost season and then i've never seen it. you rarely see this at all let alone twice and one at bat. I don't know what the odds on that are, but there's got to be at least a million to one. That kid hits himself in the head twice with foul balls on the same at bat. The first one hits him in the helmet. The second one hits him in the nose. He just went down on a heap and blood everywhere. Sounds like he'll be back, you know, maybe days or weeks. I mean, I, I think I would be... Uh, it'd, it'd be scary to get back in the box after doing that to yourself. I would presume they'll get him a football face mask or something, but I felt terrible for that kid because he's, he's, you know, he's yeah. spent his time in the program. He's earned jobs a couple times, and, and now this. And just seems, by all accounts, a good kid and a good leader.
1: Yeah, and I like i think Corbin said after the game has broken no, those further observations, but it sounds like he'll be back sooner rather than later there. So, yeah, and just a uh, – for the team and for him, you just hope he's back as soon as possible. Anything else on baseball before we hit hoops for a minute? Uh, not really. Um, yeah, I think we, you know, uh, obviously probably mentioned every player who played co- covered uh, covered a lot of a lot of stuff for 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 just two games.
0: Okay, a couple of weeks ago, you had mentioned Dylan Dessou was a, I think, a top fifteen or top twenty player. I pushed back on that a little bit. Uh, said, yeah, I'll go top 30. I don't know about top 20. I was wrong about that. Uh, that kid's legit. At, maybe at this point, listen to
1: more often, Chris.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm wrong a lot. Well, you know, on this I, podcast for a reason. I, I, that's right. Occasionally you get admission of this on the pod, but that kid, I, I don't know. Look, I don't know how you do the old sec teams, right? Because they usually name eight. Vanderbilt's probably going to finish last, maybe next to last, depending on what happens between now and then. And I, I don't know. You, know, you look at Alabama, right? Not a lot of stat sheet stuffers, but when a team wins the league by that many games, I, I think you've got to have Herb Jones and you know another player or two on there. So th- there's a lot of really good players in the league this year. I don't know how you, you come up with the top eight because to me it's going to be hard to do. There, there's so many good ones, not a lot of great ones, but a lot of good ones. But my goodness, based on numbers alone, Pippen and DeSue – certainly both deserve to be in that top eight now again uh i, I don't know i don't know how you do that because you don't want to shortchange a champion but th- those kids are both playing exceptionally well
1: right and to is the, the thing that he's always obviously shown the skill level the versatility the effort level has been really you know i i there were some people that would criticize his body language or not is not effort you know it's hard to tell sometimes but didn't play with the most aggression in the past. He has been diving for loose balls, offensive rebounding, putbacks, playing with a ton of emotion. He has been fantastic. And he to me is the type of player where if you pulled the league's coaches and they asked you like who's your favorite player in the league, like the skill set, like he's not the best player, but he just seems like the type of player that every coach would love to have because you can do so much with him. He's so versatile. Um, He's just, yeah, he's just, and, and if you would have said at this, what, what, whatever he's averaging now, but if you would have told me this year that he's averaging these points, and say, okay, he's just, he's hitting a ton of threes. Well, he, he hits his fair share, but that's not his game. You know, he's scoring in so many different ways around the basket, like I said, follows. So he's been really fun to watch. And, um, and you yeah, know, Scottie Pippen continues to, to play well, bounce back from that tough first half against Kentucky where he was forcing the balls, you know, got frustrated and stuff and, and hit some big shots there. So yeah, teams playing, I mean, I know the object of the sport is to win the game, but ever since that Arkansas game, they've really played really good basketball and showing signs and roles seem to be def- defined a little bit more and uh, playing a lot of small ball with the Sioux with the five and looks like they've kind of sorted out a little bit of the rotation. Um, it is interesting McBride getting so many minutes. Um, down the stretch against alabama um and i thought they had a good good plan in fact i mentioned this to my son watching the game and then the announcer might have mentioned it mark wise i think his name was whatever like i thought the, the plan alabama likes to play fast but i thought the press and in, in the Vanderbilt's defense was speeding up alabama even more than they wanted to be sped up and they were rushing some shots and so i thought Vanderbilt had a good defensive plan now alabama clearly missed especially early missed a lot of shots uh, but you know, when you're playing the best team in the league and they shoot a ton of threes, if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to be fortunate that they're going to miss some shots. And, uh, that, that's what happened. And, you know, credit Vanderbilt played, played a really solid game, hard to find fault with much in that Alabama game.
0: Okay. I'm looking at the league leaders. Dylan DeSue is leading the league in rebounding 9.2 Toulouse Smith at Mississippi state. Second, 8.3 Emmanuel Miller at Texas a m 7.7. Darius Day's at LSU, also 7.7. So, Dylan DeSue is going to win the rebounding title in the league, boring something pretty crazy. I cannot remember the last time a Vanderbilt player did that. Can you? I mean, I'm thinking my guess would be Will Purdue, but I don't know the answer.
1: Yeah. Um, I think one year Lance Goldborn was up there, and then he got hurt or something. And, I mean, Anthony Williams was a good rebounder, but I don't think he Never came close to the lead in the league. Dan Rangy. Um, yeah, I mean, we could easily look that up, but I, I don't remember. And I'm looking at Ken Palm right now. He's 34th nationally in, in defensive rebound position percentage. He's only this is he's he's three hundred and fifty eighth in offensive, but thirty-fourth. Basically, he's at twenty six point two. He gets twenty six point two percent of the I guess defensive re the other the opponents miss shots when he's on the floor.
0: Yeah, and I've looked at Ken Palm all year for the conference numbers and just like yeah, their ranking, everything is fourteen across the board or has been. Now Georgia has dipped to the point where, yeah, defensively, so. offensively, yeah. they are fifth in in the fifth, not in in uh, points per hundred in league play. But I mean, they've been they've been at the bottom all year. Now Georgia again is, is starting to to give them some competition for that. But the one place where they've been really good. Is keeping opponents off the offensive glass. They've got a 26.9% rate. Uh, the next best is Arkansas. Ole, no, I'm sorry. Old Miss at 27.7. Listen, I, maybe I'm looking at a day old version, but in any case, uh, that's been the one place where they've been consistent all year, and, and that's got to be mostly because of him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's done a. Yeah, I mean, only so many ways you can say it. he's been he's been phenomenal um, and and consistent the last few games. Um, he's he's a guy that he, he can score. You can run plays for him, but you don't need to run plays for him because he can score in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, just a really really solid sophomore season so far. This will probably jinx the no
0: hitter, but but it feels like they are about to pull an upset.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where. You'd think that the the way the the two teams are training with Tennessee not playing well consistently, and Vanderbilt trending in the right direction and not in looking for that breakthrough, you'd think Wednesday night would be a, a good opportunity. Um, it'll be you know Tennessee's obviously I, I'm guessing still one of the better defensive teams. Yeah, they're number two in defensive uh, efficiency, and Vanderbilt's number four in offensive efficiency. Um, Vanderbilt have to shoot the ball well. That's the one impressive thing to me too about Vanderbilt. The last two games against Kentucky and where they scored 78 points in both games and didn't shoot it great from three. Now they shot it well from a percentage standpoint against Alabama, but not a high volume for Vanderbilt. Now it wasn't 10 is not a small number, but it's not like if you tell me they're going to go down to Alabama and almost win that game that they're going to go nuts from three point range like they did last year. They struggled against Kentucky, scored. 78 points, didn't hit a ton of threes against Alabama. I guess the point being that they're, they're not just reliant on the three-point shot. And there's nothing wrong with hitting a lot of threes. That's fun. Everyone loves that. But to me, it just shows you're, play, you're, you're running pretty good offense. And you got guys who can make plays when you're hitting a lot of two-pointers. I, I looked this up and then got distracted. The number of two-pointers they hit against Kentucky against an SEC team, I, it's probably the most in years and years. Like I found a non-conference game like two years ago where they hit more than, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me because they didn't shoot a ton of free throws and they didn't make a lot of threes and they still scored 78 points.
0: How many did they hit? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like oh, I had, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I,
1: had the day. I was looking it up and I should have wrote I should have written it down for the podcast, but whatever that number was, it was, it was, it was, it was a high number. Um, especially in today's basketball, you don't see teams have that many two point shots. You know, we have harped
0: on bad luck for them. Um, and I think people know our take on that, but, one more element of that, of course they got both games against a and canceled,
1: right? Oh, I yeah. thought oh, I thought you were going to talk about defensive free-throw defense, you know, I mean free-throw defense, but Kentucky went like 25 to 26 or something like that. Yeah, well, speaking of, is there any correlation with that to
0: anything, or is that all luck? I mean, if you're like, say, mid-80s Georgetown that just beat people to a pulp, you know, do do teams shoot worse against certain teams, you know, because of that? Luck. I mean, it, I think it's probably
1: random, but I'm just asking. I think it's all luck. I mean, there's something to be said about playing on the road in front of no fans. So you're going to shoot the ball better. And if your team's shooting it well, you know, it's, it's contagious. I, I do think there's some I don't know if making free throws is as contagious as missing them is. I think it, it, it really it gets in teams mentally if, you know, you're, 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 you're 5 of 11 as a team and you get to the line, you're like, oh no, my buddy missed, my teammate missed him, and you feel more pressure. But I would say there's some small factor involved in that, but for the most part, it's just, uh, it's it's bad luck. It's, and, you know, give Kentucky credit, obviously they hit them, um, and then teams just get on a roll. But it's... That was the thing about that game. You know, Vanderbilt had chances. Obviously, Jordan Wright missed those two free throws, but it's hard to win a game like that when you're not hitting threes and the other team doesn't miss free throws. Just kind of do the math.
0: Yeah, that that was an odd one for sure. Mitch, let's get into the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan. Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today. 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshumentonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmentonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Wilco Commodore says, what aspect of Clark Lee's early tenure has impressed you the most? Um... Good question. Um, I think clearing Hawkins Field of snow, that's got to be up there. Yes. Snow shoveling uh, is hard work.
1: It, it is. I went out and tried to do it for about 10 minutes and realized that I don't live in New Jersey anymore, and I'm out of snow uh, shoveling shape. And also, we don't have a snow shovel. We had like a, a shovel that you dig dirt out. So that's not the most effective way to do it. Uh, I like the um, – I'm mean, I, I, really impressed with the staff. Uh, I think he did a really good how thorough he was and did not not that there's like a lot of outside pressure or anything but it's like everyone would know the staff and sort of like he didn't care he just went about it in a methodical way and and put the staff together um just it's hard to pinpoint to too many things because nothing's really happened um just continue to be impressed that the people that i talked to again i've mentioned this many times in the pod but the people that knew him at notre dame and the people that have come in contact with him at vanderbilt um since just, just impressive. Um, so yeah, really hard to pinpoint anything specifically other than the staff, which I think he did a good job with that. Um, I just, you know, listen to some of his media opportunities. He, he was on Jim Rome show. That was an outstanding interview. Uh, Clark's obviously a very smart guy and very, very thoughtful. Next one,
0: review Titans. Boy, this is a good one. Some people think Jack Leiter is the best pitcher
1: on staff. Do you agree? um hard hard to go against rocker just because he's proven it in against elite competition he's been through an sec season and and was dominant after his first couple starts so uh, I think it's from a scouting standpoint I can't sit here and say that one's going to be better than the other and you know I can see why some scouts might like lighter better but I I I wouldn't go that far I, I would you know if Vanderbilt's playing in a must-win game tomorrow night. I'm going with Rocker 10 times out of 10 right now.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think you've got to defer to the guy who's proven it. And my goodness, I mean, I don't know how much you could prove in a, in a season than what he showed two years ago. Doing it, winning two elimination games, being MVP of the College World Series. I mean, I can watch and think, okay, Leiter has a better pitch repertoire. um, and And... Well, it's not fair to say because, like yesterday, Rocker throws eight straight balls. Okay, we haven't really seen that at lighter, but we also haven't seen him pitch as many times. But I mean, it's as I say often, it's a beauty contest here, and and whichever you you pick, you're going to win. So,
1: right, and you know, again, not just the Duke game, the the college World Series game against Mississippi State, and just the it's just. Like I said, you said it's, it's just hard to go against the guy that's had the ball in such pressure situations. I, you know, I expect we'll see lighter in those situations, and I think he'll do well. Uh, it's hard to find fault with anything really he's done so far. Mitch, any parting thoughts before we end the show? Um, I don't know if you noticed, but the football roster was updated on the website today. It looks like a lot of uh, uh, some good news as far as the offensive line. Birchmeyer um, back. Birchmeyer uh, back. That's interesting. Yeah, and uh, Bailey's on Bailey's back. Um, Jonathan Stewart, who I know there's some question, is, is back, and uh, Cole Clemens is back. So a lot, lot more depth there, and that's kind of what we said before last season. Obviously, the, all those opt outs were not good news, and they did a good job. They stayed healthy, piecing it together. But if some of those people came back, they'd have a lot more depth. So I think that's uh, th- that's promising. Birchmeyer and there's two sixth-year seniors listed on the roster. Birchmeyer and Ty Tyrell Alexander, the wide receiver transfer from Oklahoma State, who didn't play much last year. So um, I took that as as really promising news as offensive lineman coming back.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned. I, I will have to peruse that. I had not seen it yet. Uh, I'm interested to see who else on. there. I think Chris Pierce on there. I know that he had yes. made that announcement earlier. So that, that too. You know, really, they wound up in a good spot. I think we were all concerned they'd lost so many guys who'd opted out. Just morale in that program was awful, to be honest. I think for him to recover that well speaks to him. You know, they did lose Grant Miller. That's one you'd love to have back if you can, right. but he's at Baylor. Dimitri Moore, that, that one sailed. Uh, I don't
1: think he's landed anywhere, has no. he? No, it's surprising. Flet- uh, Fletty's back. Um, he's a, fifth year senior Brayden DeVault Smith's fifth year senior. Owusu is a fifth year senior. Uh, Alan George, we knew was, I released, you know, he announced he was coming back. You mentioned Pierce already. Um, so yeah, I would say that more in Miller are the two guys who opted out slash transfer that, that will hurt. But, uh, um, I think some of the DBs from a number standpoint, but I don't think any one of the specific players was like, a. uh, you know, a a huge loss.
0: Mitch, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you would, give out your Twitter account and tease anything at The Athletic you'd like to promote.
1: Um, At um, Mitch Light. And uh, Joe is working on something on Barton Simmons and Clark Lee that'll probably be out next week. You wanted to say Athlon, Mitch, didn't you? No, I didn't. Actually, it's the first time. I don't know. I was looking at something <laughs> on my computer. It's the first time that I haven't. I My, my hesitation wasn't because of that. It was just I lost my uh,
0: – wasn't concentrating. Well, as the guy who used to write the uh, previous year on checks back when we wrote a lot to checks for months on end, I, I don't judge.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that, Chris.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show today. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We've got more of these coming later in the week.